0: This entire season of Retronauts is fully funded by listeners like you thanks to Patreon. If you'd like to find out how you can help and get episodes a week in advance, head on over to patreon.com retronauts. Thanks and enjoy the show. This week on Retronauts...
1: Super Mario, Super Mario, Super Mario World.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of Retronauts, an unnumbered episode of Retronauts. You figure out the number. We'll figure that out like much further down the road. Uh, I am your host, Bob Mackey, off to a rip-roaring start, and I've got to tell you guys, I've been diagnosed with Mario Mania. I might not only have a few weeks to live, but before that happens, let's find out who else is on our show for today.
2: Hi, I'm Jeremy Parrish. I don't have Mario Mania, but I've got Gulgomania.
0: Bad. Golgomania? Golgomania. Okay. Face it. How do you, how do you, is, this, is the cure shot into you from like 300 yards away? No, I just have to kill a lot of people. Okay, wow. Jeez. Sorry, man. <laughs> Not giving us a good uh, reputation here. Uh, and who else do we have?
1: Uh, I'm Gary Butterfield from Watch Out for Fireballs, and I'm the person who brought Luigi Bola to Luigi Bola? <laughs> so...
0: <laughs> uh. Man, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of other diseases we could be bringing into this vault. Vaccinate your children, yeah. parents, <laughs> against Luigi Bola, Mario Mania, and what was that, Golgo Mania? Uh, yeah, and now. also um, the uh, Waluigi's, Waluigils. Never mind. <laughs> I was making a joke between Waluigi and measles, but it's just I, a I've, of got, I've got the, Walu- toad, uh, okay. the toad tremors. the Tremors. <laughs> From all these puns, Uh, yes, hi everybody, it's me again, Uh, and today we're going to be talking about uh, Super Mario World, which we rarely just talk about one game on Retronauts, but I feel like... This game is so great, so huge, so important that we can dedicate an entire episode. I hope. I think we'll go the entire length. I'm going to try, and I, I've written a billion notes for this. But I do want to tell you why I'm doing this before I, before I let anyone talk. It's
2: because we're a bunch of stupid Nintendo fanboys. We are. I
0: hate Sega. We hate Sega. I could be of like Sonic the Hedgehog on a crucifix in here uh, at all times during our recording, just to remind ourselves how much we hate that guy.
2: I like to pee on Opa Opa. <laughs> I made a little. I made one of those little like, urinal cakes, and it looks just like Opa Opa.
0: You know what? It, don't ever pee on a burning right That's what they want. (laughs)
3: Uh,
0: (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) we're really good. This is only our second episode of recording. I have no idea where this is punchy. In case you guys don't know, and this is frightening to hear, that Mario World will be 25 years old this year, in 2015. Can you believe that? I mean, can you guys believe this game is 25 years old? Can you hear the sound of me quietly cutting the uh, ears? Like I said, can you hear my bones creaking? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 25 years Tendons old. And snapping. And think of, think of how many things are also 25 years old. It's, it's amazing to believe that that was really 25 years ago. But Mario World has been with us for a quarter century. Uh, it was actually released in Japan in November of 90. We didn't get ours until the Super Nintendo launched here in uh, August of 91. And the the reason I chose this game is there's a lot to talk about, obviously, but I feel like we kind of take this game for granted, and um, it's just a very ubiquitous game. I mean, who hasn't played this? It's shipped with the Super Nintendo. It is just like... And a platform where everyone has played, but I think that we have kind of overlooked how amazing this game is, um, in terms of what it does, and, it, like, if you ever go back to it, it really is still surprising, and it really just feels really good, and and it secretly might be one of my favorite games, like, when I'm thinking of my favorite secretly. games, like, I mean, like, covertly, Your I'm not even... <laughs> my, my chocolate secret. My chocolate secret. Uh, we'll get the we'll chocolate secrets later, but, uh, like, when I think of my top five games, I'm like, oh yeah, Majora's Mask, I'm German Lambie, Final Fantasy VI, whatever, but I never think, like, no, Super Mario World, i play played this game so much. It is so just just it feels so great. It's such a reliable platformer. And um let's talk about like where we first discovered this game. And I've been talking a lot, uh so I'll let Jeremy uh take over from here. So Jeremy, can you talk about like what your relationship with Mario World is? What did you think of when you saw it? Um like were you immediately like gimme when you saw that game? Um I'm just curious because I know you were, an early, were you an early adopter for Super I Nintendo?
2: Mean, I, I really don't want to discuss my relationship. <laughs> this is not Congress. <laughs> what, Ethics, what do you mean by sorry. is? <laughs> no. um, yeah, so let's see. I bought a... I think I've mentioned... I know I've mentioned this before. in no I bought a Super Nintendo with the first paycheck for my first ever summer job. Uh, so that would have been early summer 1992. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely wanted the system because I loved my NES and I saw the Super NES coming... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I played the Sega Genesis, and it was really cool, but it didn't have all the games that I wanted, you know, like Castlevania and Final Fantasy, Mario, etc. So, Super NES was a must-have for me. And That was even before it was, you know, Street Fighter Two had the exclusive uh, version there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I remember being really impressed on a technical level by Mario, <coughs> uh, you know, Super Mario World. Um, I know I've mentioned this before, but you know Nintendo had the PlayChoice 10 for NES, and then when the Super NES came out, it had PlayChoice 5, where there were five different uh, Super NES games in it. And I remember um, having lunch with some friends, you know, at Arby's as teenagers or want to do in their their foolishness, and there was a PlayChoice <laughs> 5 right at the right behind our, our table, and we all sat there and looked at the the demo for Mario Super Mario World and said. I, I can't imagine video games ever looking better than this. Why do yeah. they need to look better than this? Foolish me. But, I had a similar experience. But um but yeah, I mean it was it was a very technically impressive game. At the same time, I like you said took it for granted because at that point Mario was starting to feel, you know, like a little over over overused. Um and I think, you know, when I was a teenager it was harder for me to appreciate just the the solid design and play mechanics and programming and, and just the the excellence that went into each of these games that nintendo produced um so I, I you know i felt a little like mario's kind of like the uncool uncle of video games like uh, <clears throat> I'll, I'll play as video games but i'm a little bit embarrassed about it <laughs> so you know i bought a super nes and i played mario world and beat every level got all 96 uh Exits on my, my save file and so on and so forth, beat all the special worlds. But um, I never really was like, yeah, this game is awesome. I was always like, oh, yeah, I like this game, but yeah, Mario is so uncool. He's not
0: fast like Sonic. It's important to remember that Mario World launched in America roughly 18 months after Mario 3 did. I mean, that felt like an eternity when I was eight, but that was not a lot of time between those two huge games. So I can understand why, like, Mario was a little played out at that point. It was not, Mario World was not the step up from Mario 2 well, that and Mario, Mario was 3 was. was appearing in a lot of games. Yeah, that too, I mean, yeah. He
2: still does, but at the time, that wasn't quite so common. So you had Dr. Mario, and you had NES Open Tournament Golf, and you had, just had all these games that had Mario in them. And just felt a little, like, eh, kind of over it. Hmm. Um, but I, as time has gone on, I've really learned to appreciate the game um, for being great. And I recently bought a, a boxed copy of Mario World, which is no mean feat because you know originally it was just a pack-in title; it didn't have its own separate box. It was released in a boxed form later. Was it the it was actually really expensive US version you bought? Yeah. Okay. It's it's really really pricey now. I so never would have thought. Wow. It's very stupid, but I uh, went ahead and got it anyway just just to have it. Um, so I can, that I can play Mario World on an RGB-modded Super NES and be like, yes, this is the true experience. <laughs> it's pure. <I'm> so stupid. <laughs> anyway,
1: so that's
0: me and Mario. How about you, Gary?
1: Uh, yeah, I I absolutely kind of flipped for this game. Um, I got a Super Nintendo a little bit after it had come out um, as a gift. And I remember, um, you know, I got that. You know, I got Super Nintendo with the pack in, and, and then I got Ninja Turtles, Turtles, in Time. And at the time... I was more excited about that because I spent a lot of time at the arcade and played the Ninja Turtles arcade game and and loved Ninja Turtles. And, uh, you know, that ended up kind of being a fleeting joy, you know, being an arcade game and being designed just to kind of stay in quarters. Roughly two hours long, probably. Yeah, and you know, with Unlimited continues. And uh, Super Mario World wasn't really on my radar. Like, I I knew that there was a new Mario game coming out, uh, but I was kind of in a similar position to Jeremy, but not so much um, with anything to compare it to. Like, I wasn't... Um, that's why I started kind of playing around with PC gaming and everything. So I, I wasn't so much a Sega kid as just a, I felt like I was kind of moving, may, could have moved away from video games. And then Super Mario World came and is just endlessly delightful and full of secrets and just, you know, so much depth to that game that it really kind of drew me back in. And uh, and and similar to you, Bob, like I often forget about this, but it is one of my favorite games. And it <laughs> is my it's my favorite, probably my favorite platformer.
0: And you guys haven't done an episode on this, have you?
1: We did a live episode on it.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: where we, we didn't we talked about it a little bit, but we had we crowd sourced completing it. So we had people from the Portland Retro Gaming Expo come up and play one level. Oh, cool! And then eventually over the weekend had the the convention do all ninety six exits. Hmm. Um, so that's the the first live. Thing that we did.
0: Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. I'm, I'm a bad fan. No,
1: you're good. As
0: a fan. <laughs> as for me, um, this is kind of a strange experience, but I imagine some other people had it. I, I've been reading EGM since like 1989, probably roughly after it started, I guess, and... Uh, I they did import coverage occasionally, and um, in the back there was import coverage of what they were calling Super Mario Brothers four, which I guess is what's on the title screen of Mario World in the Japanese version. But we we dropped the four entirely for the American version, and it was just like this like unbelievable, unthinkable, beautiful, beautiful thing that was like. I was allowed to look at. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I was the most popular kid, like, for weeks. Like, I had, like... I mean, you can just go to the newsstand and buy EGM, but I guess the kids didn't want to or didn't realize that. But just, like, people didn't believe Mario 4 was true. And, like, after Mario 3 came out, we all speculated, like, oh, when's Mario 4 coming? It's got to be bigger. It's got to be more levels, more power-ups, more this, more that. But this this beautiful magazine is, like, there's a cape. There's these Koop... I mean, the Koopa kids are back. um There's all these special effects. This is probably, like, maybe summer of 1990 or fall of 1990. Like, right before the game launched in Japan right before. We even knew there was a Mario World. So, uh, and I'm sure EGM stole the screenshots from, from Mitsu or something like mm-hmm. that, as, the, as they were wont to do in those days. But, um... And then and then later in life right, like prior to the uh, launch of the not that much later in life but prior to the launch of the system I was at a Sears kiosk I don't know if Sears still sells video games uh, or if they've just moved back to hammers and jeans Is
2: there still a Sears
0: around? There's still there's still Sears there's still JC Penneys I think like the they of malls. They won't leave until the malls all fall yeah. so wow. <laughs> it's like it's like a load-bearing Sears yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They can't t- they can't take it out <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, um, so, yeah, I saw, I I went to the kiosk, and, like, once I saw that bullet bill fly across the screen, the bonsai bill, the giant screen filling, in retrospect, not really that big, but still, like, a huge sprite going across the screen, I was like, I have to do, I have to play this, I have to, I have to play this game, I I really need it, and so, um, I, I asked for a Super Nintendo for Christmas, and, uh, this is, this was the following Christmas, by the way, I got a TG-16, uh, prior to that, so, joke's on me, but, um, (laughs) Come on. <laughs> I, uh, I, I had fun with it, I had fun with it, I had fun with it. But uh, my sister was like, oh yeah, you're getting Mario World. My sister was very mean to me, by the way. So I really wasn't getting Mario World, but I had this book, this Mario Mania book that I'm pointing out, which is one of the Nintendo Power Players guides they sent out for uh, subscription people. It's a great book. Please find it if you can get it. I'm sure it's very expensive now. It's way out of print. But um, in it, there is a Mario World strategy guide. So I spent, like, months just poring over the pages, memorizing every secret, learning the names of all the enemies, things like that, and then... Christmas Day comes and I get Street Fighter 2, which is something I also wanted, but it was a Mario, so I was probably more familiar with this game by renting it. I was probably the only SNES dude that was renting Mario World in, on like, 1992, like, in the video store. I was probably the only guy that was, like, renting this game from them, but um, that's when I fell in love with it, like, like Jeremy and probably, like, Gary. I did all the levels. I got all the exits. I, I pretty much did everything I could in this game, and, uh, man, yeah, that's my story, so I think we all are fans of uh, Super Mario World in this room. At least yeah, I think you, so.
1: You haven't lived until you yeah. had the, the Goombas walking around with Mario's
0: face on them. Oh, floor. no, no. That's like uh, tr- a Trent. Transcendent. Yeah. Trans- there we go. I was looking for the word. Who's Trent? <laughs> Trent. Trent. That's my friend Trent. Trent
2: Resner. You know, like yeah. the, the, oh, like the, the dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. yeah Their weird musical based um, uh, naming conventions would stick. And I have a feeling that Bowser was named after the guy from. Um, Shanana. Shanana. I, yeah. I almost. I swear to God he has to be named after that. Because everything else, like, Boo is Boo Diddley, and no one remembers that. I do. But, I mean, I, of course you do, chair. <laughs> the people in this room remember that, but I, I swear to God, Bowser has to be the guy from Shana, and Please, Nintendo, and you're not listening to this, but someone confirm this for me. I need I to thought, know. I thought um, Bowser was a pretty common like name for dogs. You see, that could be true, but Boo is something a ghost does, but then then it is a also a reference to something, so I don't know. But Bowser was before they started doing the naming, the music Was he King Koopa in Mario 1? No, he was Bowser. Okay, hmm. weird. I don't know. I, I still stick with the Shanana theory, just to be stubborn, but uh, okay. please please confirm this, somebody. But, um, in
1: Shannanah. Yeah. Somebody in China <laughs>
0: One of the many cover bands yeah. of Shanana. Uh, so, like, let's just get into the discussion, um, the, like I said, the Japanese had a much bigger gap between their Mario 3 and their Mario World, um, in Mario, in Japan, Mario 3 hit in October of 88, which was a long time before we got it, like, about a year and a half, so, um, they had that game for a long time, and it's weird to think of Mario 3 as a 1988 game, when it feels like it's so much later, Uh, like, Nintendo was way ahead of the game, I mean, they designed the the hardware, so, of course, they knew how to take advantage of it, but still... It feels way out of its time. Um, yeah,
2: this is kind of a uh, sidecar, side rail, sidetrack, whatever. <coughs> Are we but, making sidecars? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, grab, your, grab your muddling stick. Um, no, but the, uh, the fact that, you know, Mario 3 was so advanced for its time on NES um, really makes me regret the fact that Nintendo shifted its development efforts to the Super NES soon after because we didn't really see a lot of Nintendo-developed games in the latter days of the, the NES. Like, by the, by the time the NES really hit hard here, Nintendo had pretty much moved on to 16-bit development. They, they developed a few games afterwards, but none of those really came to the U.S. Like, Fire Emblem, Advance Wars, or Famicom Wars, um, Joy Mecha Fight. Uh, uh, Star Tropics too. Well, Star Tropics was uh, a little bit of a different case. That was like a Zelda hack that was made specifically mm. for the U.S. Okay. Um... But I, you know, like there were there were companies, developers making NES games into the the mid '90s, like up to 1994, and we just didn't really see Nintendo putting its best development talent toward the NES. I, I just like I feel like there's some alternate universe where they kept saying, okay, yeah, we should make Super NES games, but let's keep pushing the boundaries. Let's see what we can do with this old hardware. Um, but you know, by that by 1998 or 1988, 1988 they'd been working with the Famicom. Uh, for for five years so they were pretty tired of it and ready to move on so we kind of kind of missed out they also put a lot of resources toward Game Boy so the NES kind of I feel like we got deprived
0: like there should have been these
2: great latter era Nintendo developed games for NES but we got Wario's Woods
0: yeah I was going to say you forgot Mm -hmm. Wario's Woods uh, but you should forget it. Uh, anyway, like, it's funny you say that because I-, I was reading, and there's not a lot of like material about the development of this game, sadly. There's never been an Iwata asks about it or anything like that, which I think is a real shame. But uh, as far as I know from my research, it was planned to be an NES game until they were like, oh, no, we got this new thing. Let's develop for this machine because we can make oh, it even seven. better. Yeah, And, I mean, I'll get into this later, but Mario World feels like the developers... <coughs> Doing what they wanted to do with Mario 3, but with the hardware that could do it. Like, everything is much more consistent. Um, I mean, if you go back and play Mario 3, and I love the game, it, like, it is another one of those secret favorite games of mine where I don't realize how much I like it until I play it. There are a lot of, like, glitches. There are a lot of, like, weird flickery graphics. Like, they were really pushing that system as far as they could. So you, I bet you, they felt, like, so much relief when this new system gave them so much more room to breathe in terms of what they could do with the characters and stuff like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I won't go over some of these other things. Like, there are some differences between the Japanese and the United States, for versions, like for one, Yoshi can eat the friendly dolphins in the Japanese version, which oh, yeah? is, is is terrifying, but I think they took that out not because of the ethical implications, but because so,
2: no, Yoshi is dolphin safe.
0: Yeah, he is. Uh, I, think it, I think it was more that um, you, you could like stop your progress in that level, because if you ate a dolphin that was essential, you could screw yourself over, or make the game much harder, but uh, that that was in, in, the, in the Dolphin Scare days, I guess, too, so uh, maybe it was because of that. Um, and Captain Planet would not have <laughs> been
1: <laughs> yeah, the darkest, but the, the pressure on them.
0: <laughs> there there was a beta version of this game, and you can look at pictures online, and um, it looks a lot more like Mario 3. I, I like the color choices in Mario World a lot better um, than what they are originally planning. It feels a lot like A Link to the Past and that there are like bizarre pastels and like weird colors you would not assume to be used in these backgrounds and these lands and these characters, but they work really well. They weren't going for realism or anything like that. And uh, we can't forget that, uh, technologically speaking, Mario World was uh, in part designed to take advantage of the Super Nintendo's many, many technical tricks. And I'm opening Mario Mania right now because essentially there is like, here is why you should buy this um, system in the front of the Mario. big advertisement for the Super NES. Yeah, and I can't find it now, but basically it's like, here is every every way Mario World takes advantage of the Super Nintendo. Look at all these colors. Look at the parallax scrolling. Layers. Yeah, layers too like there there were you know entire castle levels designed around the fact
2: that there could be sprites existing on either side of a background layer uh, with those mesh fences so you could see through the layers yeah. and then flip around to the other side and interact with something on the the near side or the opposite side that was that was pretty cool like I don't think I really appreciated it at the time but like I get it you know one thing I really like about Mario World in in retrospect and hindsight is the fact that it's kind of doing two things at once It's being a great Mario game, and it's also being a showcase for the uh, Super NES. Mm -hmm. So when you first start the game, you know, you begin with a little dinosaur island blurb, and then you're put on the world map, and you can go to two different levels. You don't have to go to one level or the other. Right. You get your choice. One of the levels is a very classic, straight-up Mario platforming stage. Like, it's a World 1-1 kind of experience, and it's like, you know, kind of what you expect from a Mario game. The other level is just like... Every weird new thing that they, <laughs> that's they true. incorporate. There are, is that one too. There are, yeah, I think so. There yeah. are pipes at angles. There's the giant bonsai build. That's one one.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, well, that, that's if you go to the left, which is the direction that most people wouldn't go right. originally. Yeah,
2: yeah, but anyway, I, 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 yeah, yeah. The point remains that it's like showing off all these new tricks, all these new things that uh, that Mario World can do that the original couldn't. So, or you know, that the older Mario games couldn't. So it's it's kind of like this. Um, like almost not a mission statement, but like a uh, a proclamation saying, Check this out, this is different, this is new, this is not a Mario experience like you've had before. it's going to be rad mm-hmm.
1: yeah I never noticed that before, and that that's the path that also leads to the first switch block, right, which is a a, t- a totally different thing that's new with the century. It's kind mm-hmm. of affecting the larger world, yeah so yeah, that's really insightful
0: to say a few more things about the the effects and stuff. A lot of them are a little cheesy these days, but I think that uh, Mario World did a good job of using them in service to the gameplay. Like a lot of them are, you know, we're going to put a layer of clouds over this. We're going to make things transparent just because we can. But some of them are like, we're going to put a thousand boos on the screen. Not really a thousand, but you know what I mean. A lot of a lot of enemies on the screen. So you've never dealt with this challenge before. How will you deal with it now? Now that we can do this to you? Um, and you know, I, oh. I have to. Um, take issue with your
2: characterization of these effects as cheesy. I feel like the strength of Super Mario World uh, and something that made it maybe seem a little underwhelming at the time is that it does use a lot of the Super NES's tricks but it does them in a very understated way. It's not like, you know, Act Razor where there's like a spinning title screen flying out at you and all this crazy stuff. Like, it, it makes use of transparencies and it uses the mosaic effects and Mode 7 and um, but it does it in a way that never feels like it gets in the way of the game design or the gameplay. Mm-hmm. It's never to the detriment of the playability of Mario World. It's always kind of understated. And some of the elements didn't work out that well. Like they were, you know, trying to figure out how do we use these trigger buttons. On That's the true. Yeah. Of the uh, of the controller, uh, boy, I don't know. You really use so them? They they yeah. used it to like tilt the camera
0: left and right. You really okay. just use it to fool the game into triggering things for you so they don't hit you. Yeah. It's just like you're just tricking the game, right. essentially. Right, so it, it's That's actually it. become
2: like the keystone of of all these really crazy game exploits and glitches. Um, but but I really admire the restraint that they exercised because if you look at a lot of early Super NES games, you do have a lot of developers who are just like, oh my god, look at all this crazy stuff we can do. Let's go hog wild. Kind of like, you know... Um, with DS developers who were like, we have to use the touchscreen. Yeah. So you had, you know, actually, Castlevania is kind of the the golden standard <laughs> here. You yeah. had, you know, Castlevania, R.A. of Sorrow, or Dawn of Sorrow, sorry, where you had the uh, the seal drawing, which got in the way of the action. In Castlevania 4, you had, like, the fourth world, which was nothing but crazy mosaic effects. And wasn't really that fun to play through, but it sure looked cool at the
0: time. I agree with you. They did show restraint because otherwise the Bowser fight would be just this insane, like, Mode 7, like, horrible mm-hmm. thing to look at. But it's just very understated these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary, I'm sorry, do you have something to say? Or? No, no,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree.
0: Okay, so this game is, uh, contrary to probably popular belief, uh, it's directed by Takashi Tezuka, who might possibly be my favorite Nintendo guy of all time. After just looking at what he did again, I'm like, oh man, Like I, I think I like him more than Miyamoto. Yeah, uh, he,
2: he His role in Nintendo's catalog has been severely downplayed. Yeah. And I was really happy that I got to interview him last year at E3, because I was, he was kind of like... The last missing square on my bingo card. Oh, cool! <laughs> so, uh,
0: so I got bingo. I, I like. I, I don't know. I think it conflicts with the narrative that we would all prefer. the like, oh, this this um this company is driven by this quiet genius, and then he makes all the games himself at his little That's workshop. Actually, not the narrative I prefer. I like the, the narrative that there are
2: lots of visionaries, oh, lots of
0: talented people there. I don't prefer that, that thing is, but um, I think it's a, a more like easy narrative that is like... It's a more like, popular narrative. Yeah, like, like it's yeah. something that's easy to write. you know? Yeah, and
2: I, I think that's something that is fading away as people I come hope to so. understand you know Nintendo better. Like, people used to say, oh, Gunpei Yokoi was the creator of Metroid. Well, he was the producer, but he wasn't really the designer on it. He wasn't really the director. He didn't come up with all the gameplay ideas himself. That was, you know, other people who worked for him. Um, so I think I think you know it's just as people get a better understanding of how video games actually work and um, just the fact that like the first name you see is not necessarily the person who single handedly created right, a video right. game. Yeah, but yeah, this is uh, definitely one of many great Tezuka games.
0: And I can tell you a few more. And like, geez, like Go everything it. everything he touches is turns to gold. Uh, I mean,
2: he was one of the designers on Super Mario Brothers.
0: Mm-hmm. He um, he
2: did a lot of the level designs. Like, you know, he worked with Miyamoto, but he's always been, like, Miyamoto, I think, has been more of the sort of visionary, like, here's the big ideas, let's do this, let's do that. Tezuka's been more like the, okay, now how do we translate this into actual gameplay? How do we translate this into level design? Um, so I-, I think the two... Are an amazing team. I, I don't think they work together that much anymore. I think because we moved would. on to, <laughs> you know, bigger level type things, right. uh, bigger picture type things. Um, but the two of them working together. Like, have created
0: some of the greatest
2: games of all time.
0: So I can tell you a few of those. I mean, bef- like you said, Jeremy, before before there was a formalized role of director, when it was just a bunch of guys making a game, he assisted Miyamoto with Legend of Zelda, um, Mario 1 through 3, and by, by the way, Mario 2, I'm, I'm speaking of the Japanese Mario 2, I think Tanabe was the dude who did Mario, Doki Doki Panic, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, who also worked on a friggin um, Donkey Kong Country, the most recent one, yep. and helped make that game really good, I think. Um, also, so Tezuka directed himself, like, sole credit as director. Was a Link to the Past? Come on, like I can't even say that name without like having to like take a deep breath and be like, it's. <laughs> it, I must give it space because it's such a beautiful, amazing experience. Like, I'm sorry, folks, I am a Nintendo fanboy, but you cannot deny the greatness of a Link to the Past. Um, also, Links Awakening um, and Yoshi's Island. Uh, like all those amazing games in this short amount of time, and Mario World. Like I, I have to, I think that like he is my favorite Nintendo guy. He has to be. um That's my just, favorite era of Nintendo.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mario, like at the, the very least, like.
0: And, I, I, like, it, it might be because of him. Like, yeah. there is something about his games that just, there is, I, I, it's, like, it's indescribable, but there is just, a, like, a, an attitude his games exude that I think really uh, Mario World carries uh, in, in a great way. And I wish I could, like, articulate it, but I really can't. Has
1: he done anything more recently? You
0: know? I think... He's working on Mario Maker. Yeah, oh, cool. yeah, that's right. That's um awesome. Like, like, it seems like the Nintendo thing is, and we can see this in, in Mario's credits, like, a guy will do a few games, and then he will supervise someone new for a few games. So I think Tezuka, even though he worked alongside with Miyamoto, he was, like, the next in line to be a director. Right, and he's um, he's calling the shots on Kirby, uh, or not, not
2: Kirby, um, Yoshi's uh, Woolly World. Okay, cool. <clears throat> Did you see the E3 video with him?
0: Like hanging out in the yarn shop, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did see that they're like choosing yarns. And yeah, stuff. <laughs> that was great. That's adorable. Uh, so another another big thing, uh, probably the biggest thing about this game, especially if you were a '90s kid hashtag '90s kid uh, <laughs> Yoshi, Yoshi the dinosaur. Now, in my opinion, like, okay, this is my my theory, but I think Yoshi ushered in the decade of dinosaurs. Like the '90s were dinosaur crazy, and Yoshi was like he cut the ribbon on that decade. Like, welcome to Dinosaur Town, kids. Everyone get a t-shirt on and watch Jurassic Park and uh, get your zoo books out and, you know...
1: (laughs) And watch Dinosaurs. <laughs>
0: Jeremy's pulling Jeremy's this over, but, uh... I'm kind of like, didn't, didn't the TV series Dinosaurs come before that? That was 94. Oh. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that's a that's Seems like an older late. kind of thing. Yeah, every time I look up anything about that show, I'm surprised <laughs> and shocked.
0: It's like, it's that late? I just wow. thought everything about it. So, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if they're predicting kids... I mean, I'm sure kids always like Dinosaurs. I knew I did before in the 90s, but, like, it felt like everything was coming together in terms of dinosaur fandom, I guess. A dinofan.com. Please subscribe. Um... So, if in case you're not aware, Miyamoto wanted a Yoshi-type creature to be in an NES yep. game. I mean, it's even in this book right here, uh, Mario Mania. And, and in this book, too, Miyamoto's like, who knows? Maybe one day Mario will, will wear metal clothes. And we saw that in Mario 64. So, look at any old Miyamoto interview. You'll see those ideas at some no, point.
2: No good idea goes to waste.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, I'm sure... Eventually, the technology would have been there, but they stopped making NES games so early, as Jeremy said, that they just were like, let's put it this in our new game. Because even in like Adventure Island 2, Master Higgins rode dinosaurs. So if, if Hudson could make it work, I'm sure Nintendo could have. But we're talking about the original Mario Brothers here. Um, so in this iteration, he's at his most dinosaur-like. I actually, I did a a piece for Games Radar tracking the evolution of Yoshi, and he has gotten more humanoid to the part to the point where his saddle has become a shell. Yeah. Where it's like you don't ride me anymore. I have hands. I have a, I have a l- <laughs> l- <laughs> <of> voice. <laughs> I write songs. Yeah.
1: I have a diary. Yeah.
0: yeah, I
2: mean, he didn't have hands in Super Mario World. Was the first. Iteration of Yoshi's He has these little,
0: hand. like, claws.
2: Yeah, was was the first iteration of that with Yoshi's Island?
0: It was, which, yeah. It was necessary because he was throwing eggs. He was throwing eggs. Um, I'm sure if he was, like, pooping them out at high velocity, it would be offensive. So he actually had to throw them. And uh, in this iteration, he did not have his awful voice, which I cannot I was, stand. I was just
1: about to bring that up. My my appreciation of Yoshi tends to, to correlate with how silent he is. Yeah,
0: he made that amazing, and I'll, and I'll throw in this episode right here, but it's like or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a that's pretty good. It's like an orchestra hit played backwards or something. I don't know.
2: It always for some reason it always made me think of a vacuum cleaner, and I don't know why. Maybe because it doesn't really sound like a vacuum cleaner, but that's just always the the term that stuck in my head.
0: Yeah, me. I mean he he vacuums food up or whatever, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's like the Flintstones. It's a living. Yeah. So and, I mean, and I think in one game, maybe it was Mario Galaxy Two. They they took away his voice, where it's like, let's try him without this awful voice for once. Um, I don't, I forget which, which game it was. If you know, please let let us know because I forget. But it was a modern game where they were like, let's not have his voice in this game.
1: And I think in that one, I think it is Mario Galaxy Two, and I don't even think he does the like, oh, you know, like <laughs> like the,
0: the I th- moving. Grunt. I think in that in that game, he's very much a servant of Mario. He's very much a subservient character. I, I really so maybe, yeah. I don't know what that
1: says
0: about me, but I like my, my Yoshi. I like subservient. my Yoshi subservient. Yeah, I like my Mario's with the. You prefer Pluto to Goofy, is what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I certainly do. <laughs> yeah. Gosh! Thanks.
0: So, it, like, uh, when with Yoshi, you can uh, swallow enemies, which would be uh, uh, like a thing that Kirby would eventually do. You can, with some enemies, like Koopa shells. If you ate a certain color of Koopa shell, it would tr- give you a power up. Like the red ones, let you breathe fire. The blue ones let you fly. The yellow ones, I think, gave you everything. Gave you at a once? Stop. Yeah, I gave you a stomp. And the flashing ones gave you everything, yep. invincibility or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, whenever you jumped on Yoshi's back, uh, the bongos would be added to the music, which is just like, we have these extra sound channels, let's play with them, another way they could incorporate the SNES's new technology into the game without making it too obvious. Um,
2: you know, my, my favorite use of the, um, the sort of audio modification in Super Mario World is when you go into caverns, and suddenly there's this echo effect. Yeah, yeah, the reverb. yeah, I, I was
1: really impressed with that. I was like, wow, this game is realistic. Yeah, the uh, Yoshi also. I mean, I'm sorry, not to. I don't oh, no I appreciate that. But Yoshi um, also is a kind of a regenerating health item. Like you can take an extra hit with Yoshi, and similar to Sonic, you can re. Yeah, kind him. of like a ring.
0: That is true. Yeah. And- I don't know if, if people were saying this game was for babies when it came out and whatever weird version of Usenet was around, but this game is a lot easier <laughs> than Mario 3 because, like Gary said, you can take that extra hit with Yoshi. You also have the item block that will save yeah. your power-up. So, I mean, you you don't have that bank of items anymore that you had in Mario 3, but you have an instant, like, mushroom or star or cape or whatever you need. To, when You can call it down whenever you need it.
1: To balance it, though, like, the, the levels are considerably longer than Super Mario Bros. <laughs> They're
0: 3. a lot longer, yeah.
1: Like, Super Mario Brothers 3, whenever I go back to that game, which which I really do like as well... Um, I'm always surprised by how quickly you can get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Mario Three. Honestly, I don't like
2: as much as Mario World because Mario World I feel <laughs> gives you more opportunities to just kind of stretch out and enjoy the the world that's there. Mario Three has some really great levels, but they're all so tiny,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and it just feels much more arcadey. Whereas Mario World, <clears throat> Mario World really gets into the like the more exploratory, slow-paced, methodical element of Mario that I've always appreciated. And and in a way, it kind of feels like it's um, drawing from American Mario 2, which Mm. is interesting because that wasn't, you know, canonically a Mario game when it was originally created, but it did really sort of push Mario away from pure platforming arcade skill challenge action to something more about, like, figuring things out and puzzling through the levels and discovering things and you know that was always a part of mario but it was like with the hidden blocks and stuff like that but it was much more pronounced in mario 2 and then it takes it to the next level with mario world where the levels can sprawl in multiple directions and feature all kinds of crazy hidden things like secret exits that you have to do all kinds of bizarre shenanigans like jumping off and committing (laughs) suicide uh it's it's just it just feels richer deeper more satisfying to me. I know a lot of people prefer Mario 3, but to me, Mario World is kind of the pinnacle of classic Mario. Hmm. Yeah,
1: I I think part of the reason why, when you talk about that exploratory element, is that uh, the reward for exploration is so much richer. So when you would find hidden blocks or find um, vines that would go up to a coin level in earlier Mario games, um, they were just for a mechanical benefit in getting more coins and getting extra life. Whereas the reward for exploration in Super Mario World is always more Super Mario World. Like, finding the extra exits, it unlocks huge sections of the game. Like, when I first found in the, the second set of worlds, the uh, the path that goes off into the water and then hits the, the Star World through that thing, you know, they signal to you that that's there. Here's a ghost house on the screen. You can't get to it yet. There's got to be a way to do that. And then uh, once I did it, I just felt like there. it just kept giving. And because the individual kind of moment-to-moment gameplay was so fun it created this feedback loop where it's really fun to explore. Exploring gives me more areas to explore, which are then fun to explore. Mm
0: -hmm. And what helped Mario explore was just the sheer amount of things he could do in this game. I mean, it wasn't too much of a step up from Mario 3, and I think Donkey Kong 94 would make it, like Mario, his most versatile ever. But in this game, he can spin jump. Uh, he can uh, grab, toss, and catch items. Which there was a limited item interaction in Mario Three, but in this one, you can you can grab an item, throw it in the air, climb a vine, catch it while you're on the vine. Somehow climb the vine with the item in your hand. I don't know how that works like logically, but and in fact, the entire final boss is like a test. Like, can you throw items well? Um, which is totally cool in my opinion. I don't see a lot of Mario games doing that as much. And uh, I think I mean, uh, there's like the, did I say the spin jump? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did mention the spin okay. jump. Okay. And yeah, the the variety
2: of abilities you have that are all kind of built in. Um, it's not it's not like with Mario three where what you can do is based on the suit you have. There are there are no suits in this game. There's you know the fire flower and there's the cape. Yeah, they really, really cut back power ups and makes Mario's abilities <clears throat> uh, broader from a basic level and um, the 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 possibilities that you have with things like the spin jump and, you know, spin jumping off of Yoshi to break bricks and that sort of thing, it really creates a lot of strategic opportunities and different ways to play through each level. So it, it kind of kind of gets toward that, um, if I dare say it, Miyamoto sort of ideal of turning it, uh, an action game into a playground, sort of a sandbox where you can experiment and discover things and just have fun uh, with the act of play.
0: Yeah. Like, in Mario 3, if you saw a boot, you'd have to avoid it. In Mario World, you can spin jump off of it. You can't kill it, but it's another way to get around it if you can't maneuver under it or whatever, which is, a little, like, a cool option for you. Like, you have more than one option to approach most problems in this game. And uh, as we're talking about, like, surprises, like, the game's like, okay, go this direction or this direction in the beginning. There's even more surprises right off the bat. It's just like, you re- remember Goombas? Well, they're not going to die when you stomp them once. And now they are these weird chestnut looking things, which are actually more in line with what they're called in Japan, which they're named after chestnuts, not mushrooms. And Koopas, when you jump on the Koopas, the Koopa goes flying out of the shell in, like a little, like, wife beater in, like, boxer shorts. And uh, he will either go back into his shell or get mad and kick the shell at you. So, like, just with, like, a few enemies that are just basic common Mario enemies, they really rethought their behavior to surprise you. You can even pick up a Goomba that you've, kicked, you've, you've stomped on and, like, use it as a weapon. So there's some Mario Mario 2 stuff in there as well, I think. One thing I really wanted to get in on is the cape. Uh, the cape is my favorite Mario power-up period of all time.
1: It's my favorite power-up of all time. Uh, I think Any series
0: I against. think I think I'm a, okay, now I must restate it. It has to be my favorite power-up of all time. Sorry, Gary. Now no, it's mine. <laughs>
1: okay. okay, we can do it together.
0: Yes. Uh here's the thing, like I call this a sports car of Mario power-ups because it's hard to learn and you can get into a lot of accidents, but once you master it, you have an incredible amount of speed and versatility. And um, it's very hard to do. The cape is very freeing, though, once you figure it out. Because essentially, if you have a cape and you know how to use it, you are granted indefinite flight powers almost any any obstacle in the game, which makes the levels also, like, worth exploring vertically as well as horizontally. The problem is learning to use the cape isn't as simple as charging up a meter and just hammering on the jump button as you did with the leaf. To use the cape, you have to have um, a certain amount of timing when Mario's, like, bobbing through the air. And even then, you can, you can have him float down gently or dive-bomb or, like, work your way out of a dive bomb and start flying back up again. I'm I'm making hand motions over here to signify how important this is to me, but uh, yeah, like the cape. I remember having to teach kids that I knew how to use the cape when I was a kid. Like, this is, like, I was teaching, like, I was running cape training classes. Like, this is how you use the cape. I knew a ton of kids who played through the entire game without even using the cape because it was too hard for them, but that was still a viable way to play Mario World without even touching the cape. Cape thoughts. I want your cape thoughts here on Retronauts Radio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Please chime in.
1: The uh, yeah, it, it is uh, for most of the reasons you said. Like, it is there is a surprising amount of things you can do with the cape, um, and the game takes advantage of those with increased complexity as you go, um, especially in the later kind of Star World levels, where sometimes you have to go under the levels' geometry and uh, just kind of hug the the ceiling, you know, uh, to get to the hidden exits, or um, just learning how to gain height with it. Like, yeah, you know, for sure. that was the first curve, like where it's like, okay, I can stay in the air, but I'm just slowly sinking. Um, but no, you know, if you time this perfectly, um, you can actually, you know, keep going. And and the first uh, bonus level in the first level we get the cape, it's my, fir- my favorite Mario level of all time is like 2-1, um, where there is the hidden pipe that brings you to the just world full of coins mm. that you can only get with the cape is so empowering of like a, a place to check that out. Because, you know... Coins don't, like, your lives are on their way out. They don't really matter that much in this Mario. You know, you always end up with more lives than you can ever use. Uh, But it just feels good getting a coin, and it feels good learning this skill. And the intersection of those things is really perfectly realized.
0: Yeah, and you're right. They they hold off on the cape until World 2. They're like, you're not ready for the cape yet, buddy. Like, you just wait, and we'll give you a cape. I
1: was always disappointed that if you go back to the earlier worlds, there's not... Like, keep secrets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of expected that. They
0: did have to design every level with the cape in mind, I think, just because it's like, what will happen when the player flies up here, mm-hmm. which I'm sure was a lot more work. But, I mean, it paid off because there are often secrets up, up in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't like a stage, you can fly over most of them if you want. I mean, if you're good enough. Jeremy?
2: Yeah, I feel like the, um, the transition from Mario World's cape to Mario 64's wing cap Really, kind of shows the limitations of, of 3D game worlds because the cape, uh, the wing cap, is just so much less fun and versatile than the cape. I Even still it, have problems with that. It functions thing. somewhat similarly, but it's nowhere near as liberating. It's 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 much more finite in terms of what you can accomplish with it. The the cape, like if you take the time to learn it, like you guys have said, it, it just you can do so much with it, and it gives you so many different ways to play. But, you know, they have to be careful with with 3D game worlds because there's just so much more to keep in mind, so many more things to worry about, so many more ways to break the game. So they have to put restraints on you. And there's never really been a Mario power-up as liberating and versatile as mm-hmm. the game. And maybe, maybe that's why they've changed it, maybe because it was just too empowering and they feel like great gameplay comes from limitations. Like, if you look at the power-ups in Mario Galaxy... Most of those are time limited, like mm-hmm. the ice flower and the fire flower. You only get those for a, a short amount of time. Uh, Mario sixty four too. Like most of these three uh, D game power ups are are very uh, constrained because they're only meant to be used in specific areas. Yeah, like uh, they couldn't afford to take the time to make every level work with every permutation of power-up. I think 3D World does a nice job of kind of breaking away from that, but 3D World is also kind of in between 2D
0: and 3D Mario. So another thing that was big for this game was the fact that you could save your game, which kind of indicated to players, like, you're not going to be playing this in one sitting, like you might have done with Mario 3. Although Mario 3 had the whistle system built in, where it's like, oh, this is where I stopped playing, I'm going to go back to World 4, even though you'd be going there with, like, no lives, no power-ups, or anything like that. It was still a way for players to jump back to where they were instantly. Well, in this game, anytime you beat a ghost house or a fortress, um, you can save your game. And um, I think this was the first time I encountered a save system in a platform game. Like, I was I played RPGs before this, and I was aware of them then, but I had never played, a like, a, a platform game that had like a like a save battery, maybe passwords, but never just like a battery. It, it really signified something big to me. Um, I don't know. Am I the only one who's seeing this? Uh, I, it could just be me.
1: I'm racking my brain, but all the examples I'm coming up with are password. I mean, Actually. yeah, I mean, you know, if you want, you
2: could look back at the Famicom disk system versions of Metroid. True, in- true. Which
1: yeah, had save files. Yeah.
2: But otherwise, yeah, usually platformers were just a password system. But that was more a matter of pragmatism. That was because. Batteries were expensive and would have raised the cost of producing and selling the cartridges. And for platformers, you don't need a complex save system. You just need to say like, what level are you at? Right, right. Maybe like mm-hmm. Mega Man, which power ups do you have? But other than that, that's that's all pretty straightforward. Whereas in RPG, you have like, what level are each of your four characters at, and what weapons do you have, and what event flags to be triggered, and so on and so forth. What bosses are dead? <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, to me, it wasn't that momentous. It just meant, like, basically the cost of batteries was coming down.
0: Yeah, I can see um, that. I mean, that's not what I thought at the time, but it just didn't <laughs> strike me as being like, oh, this changes everything. It was not it, it was nicer than having a password. And I, th- I think one of the reasons why they instituted the battery is because the... The overworld map could change in many ways, which is one of my favorite things about this game. Which Nintendo never did again with a platformer. They might have done a like a little tiny fraction of what they did with Mario World, but like there is a persistent overworld that will like you. you really feel like you're cutting your way through this land. Where as you beat stages, like things pop out of the ground, like water drains out of things. Ready like World kind of
2: does that uh, to a lesser degree. Yeah, to, it,
0: like not it still does.
2: Not, it's, it's it's the closest they've come.
0: Yeah, not the way I want it though. Like there are like persistent. There's a persistent. Quality to this world, where if you um, hit those uh, those P switches, you know the four different colors ones, they will put those blocks all throughout the world. So you have an incentive to go back and explore. It's sort of like light Metroidvania elements. Um, if I if I'm allowed to use that word here, am I allowed to use that word, here? <laughs> I guess we're allowed to.
1: It does it does a when you when you I was gonna bring up Metroidvania, and it does a really clever thing about letting you know when you need to go back and revisit levels mm. by having the levels. Uh, kind of blink, or they're, are they just solid red, or do they blink red and yellow when there's still stuff to do in them? Um, I don't know if that's in Mario World, actually. There, there is a difference. There's huh. a color difference when there's an undiscovered exit, or if there are multiple Maybe exits.
0: Maybe they did that with the Game Boy Advance version. They
1: did it in the Super. They did it okay. in the last version I played. I don't know if I'm getting the signaling right, but I know uh, that there, is a, there is a visual indicator that there are multiple exits, hmm. which to me was the indicator to go back and yes i mean like
0: well there will be a yellow dot for the level if there is no secret and a red dot if there is but that never changes
1: okay maybe that's what i'm I'm thinking i didn't think it necessarily changed but there was a reason so if you went through a level and you couldn't get through an area you would know what you had to revisit now that you've done some Mm -hmm. switches
0: i don't recall i'm sorry i I can't say you're wrong gary because i don't have the proof in front
1: of me (laughs) so we'll
0: just say that maybe maybe that happened
1: commenters right in
0: (laughs) and you aren't you aren't really tied to a linear path throughout this game um We'll get into the secrets in a minute, but uh, if you want to, you, after World One, you can just play whatever levels you want if you can figure out how to get there. I mean, uh, um, famously, this game you can get to Bowser's Castle in twelve stages if you know all the exits right from the beginning. You can you can beat Bowser in twenty minutes, and I would just do that on a boring summer day. Like how fast can I get to Bowser? Like early non-recorded speed runs. It was just like they really wanted to rethink the platformer. You can go back to older worlds if you want to. You can always re- revisit old levels, old beat old bosses you beat before. They really wanted you to get. A good feeling for this world. It wasn't just like if you beat World 1, it was behind you forever. There could still be levels that you couldn't finish. There could still be levels with secrets that you didn't find yet. Uh, it was just like a very robust and living world, and I, and I really appreciated that a lot.
1: And And you could, in Mario 3, you could warp to the end fairly quickly with warp whistles, but Mario 3, to me, and this could have been me being bad at the game... Uh, because of the way that power-ups were used, felt designed where you had to come into Last World with an arsenal.
0: Pretty much, yeah. So the,
1: the warp whistles were always really unsatisfying to me. Like, I like that they were hidden and, and weirdly hidden, but they were worthless, you know, because I, I couldn't just get there and actually do it with small Mario and no uh, nothing backing me up. Where here, where your tool set, you know, is really limited and found in every level, um, it is really kind of modular how much you want to play and how deeply you want to explore. Mm-hmm.
0: So, now I'd like to talk about my favorite part of Super Mario World, and that is secrets. Chocolate secrets. Super Mario World secrets, everybody. I'm sorry, I'm stealing a a Conan bit from, like, 18 years ago. Anyway, (laughs) this game, I think they realized that uh, what got kids talking the most about Mario 3 were the secrets. I mean, the friggin' whistle was the centerpiece of the movie The Wizard, as we discovered in a previous Retronauts episode and uh the thing about uh, Mario 3 Secrets is that all of them were very arcane, and uh, like could, you could only know them through people telling you, like, I'm not going to know to crouch on some white block for three seconds or whatever, I'm not going to know to have my my score in a certain amount in order to get that coin ship or however the hell you do it. See, yeah, I can't even remember this. But, um... This game had secrets like baked into it. They were more essential. Um, they were just part of the game and uh, so in in this game, areas marked with a red dot meant there was a secret exit so you wouldn 't necessarily be wasting your time looking at every level for a secret so uh, in those levels with the red dots there's a key in a keyhole, and if you find those and put them together, you open up a new pathway on the world map to presumably a different level or maybe a different pathway or a shortcut or something like that. And you awake Gozer. And you awake Gozer.
1: <laughs> was- I- I was ref- that's what we- I was referencing when we were <laughs> contentious before the break. Like, that's oh, okay. what it that actually meant. It was just like... That- you might know where to go back with uh, switches. Uh, okay, that's because, it. Got
0: it. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> uh, so, like, okay, the keyhole sound effect opening. Uh, so the keyhole sound effect is great. I love it. It's like like that. It's like a THX sound. I didn't do it any justice, but uh, uh, You need a whole room of people doing that. Yeah, we do.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> And if you get all the secret exits in the entire game uh, and that includes getting all of the um, special worlds we'll talk about that soon you will open up a new version of Mario world where a few graphical elements have changed but it's just a gimmicky neat little thing where the Koopas have Koopa masks and um, stuff like that but how it's do you like guys new game
2: plus it, it
0: kind of is maybe this game did this game pioneer new game plus who knows but uh, like why how... right had that first who did Metroid oh yeah it's Zelda. Right. A lot of things, sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> I am a bad person. So, like, what do you guys think of the secrets in this game? I feel like they are, uh, like, I don't think games had this many secrets or secrets made as just the fabric of the game like this before. Um, I think they really, like, zeroed in on this whole this whole secrets element. I can't think of a better word to call it. I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I mean,
2: there are plenty of games I can think of dating back into the 80s that had lots and lots of secrets built into them. But the difference was that there wasn't so much obfuscation Mm -hmm. involved in Mario World. Like, if you look at something like Tower of Draga, you have to know the secrets in order to succeed. You have to know where to find the jet boots, and you have to know where to, like, kill certain enemies in certain ways. But none of that is intuitive. Right. Right. All of that is, you know, like, playground lore, or guidebook lore. Please buy our strategy guide. Um, Mario World, with a few exceptions, um, is pretty intuitive. It's pretty upfront with its secrets. It's a matter of just, you know, poke around, be creative, and you know, even even the stuff where you have to like fly under an exit um, and then find a secret door
0: beyond that, like,
2: you know that's that's kind of left for you to discover, and it's not impossible to figure it out. No,
0: and way. I actually just played that stage. There, there are arrows pointing you past the goal, like saying, go beyond the goal, right. figure out a way to get beyond the goal. So yeah, like, even when, like, I have a pretty good memory for this game, but it, like for maybe like 10 stages I couldn't remember the secrets for, I went back into them and just like, okay, let me figure this out on my own, and I did, because they were pretty much like either signposted or they were put in a place where I would find them if I discovered enough.
2: Yeah, so it was a big change in the design philosophy of like, early 80s Spectrum games or, you know, Japanese PC games or even something like Atlantis no Nazo for Famicom um, where it was basically just like, how are you supposed to figure this crap out? Even something like Metroid where it was, you know, just like roll around and bomb stuff until you find the secret passages. Super Mario World wasn't like that. So secrets were woven into the fabric, but at the same time you could kind of see the the stitches in the fabric, the strain on the fabric where the, 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 the secrets were located. So it was really just about, you know, a test of observation and intuition mm-hmm. um, as opposed to blind luck. And that, yeah. means, that represents a huge jump forward in game design. And, you know, I've, I've been charting sort of the evolution of platformers for our Kickstarter book project and video project. And... Uh, it took a long time for developers to get past that sort of obtuse, uh, just, you know, like, hope you can luck into it st- sort of approach to hiding games and padding length out. Yeah, I think maybe, you know, the fact that this was on a more powerful system with higher capacity cartridges by by nature allowed them to... Really, sort of create an extensive and large game without having to pad it out, and you know, just try to maximize the most that they could from a, a paltry few levels. Like this game has dozens and dozens, and dozens of stages, and I think they could afford to be more transparent about everything because there wasn't the question of value. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, like there's a lot of game here. They didn't have to drag it out
0: and, and pretend that there wasn't. Yeah, and most people were getting it for free, essentially, with their system yeah, for the too. most part. Yeah, Gary, yeah. sorry.
1: Well, that's incredible when you think back on it too. Like one of the, you know, one of our favorite games, one of the best games ever, it was just something that they had for free. But um, I don't have too much to add, other than just that the secrets were all discovered by things you would do anyway. Mm-hmm. So there was, you weren't necessarily. It wasn't like patience. Like I have to start thinking outside of my verb set. It was just use your verb set everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I really appreciated.
0: Like, in the case of that, like, I was looking for a uh, exit in, like, the Force of Illusion, and I went down this hole, and there was a key and a keyhole, but um, there were spin blocks above it, and I was small, so I was like, I need, I, need to, I need to stay big in order to unlock this. So I just went down a pipe I would naturally go down, but then I found the secret there. So, yeah, it really made, like, uh, a real sense of discovery about this game, where you were finding things around every corner... And um, I mean, I guess there were not as secret as some other secrets, but they were achievable, like Jeremy said, which made them feel, I think, more rewarding. Where you weren't just, yeah, the game was not ad- had to not have this adversarial uh, like attitude towards you. It Was like, no, 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 we want we want you to explore. We want you to have fun exploring, and by exploring, you're going to find more game. Like you said, Gary, the reward is more game, which is fantastic. So uh, I do want to talk about some specific kinds of levels. We have the Star Road levels, which. Okay, so there are these stars that will warp you to something called the Star Road, and there are, I think, five points on the Star Road, and each star will bring you to a different world, but there are levels between those stars, and each of these levels are centered around secrets. You cannot actually uh, like beat these levels without finding the keyholes and the keys in them, which I think is a really great—they're like. They're just emphasizing like these are our super secret levels. Like If you thought it was hard to find the secrets in these levels, well, in this level, you've got to kill a Lakitu and use this cloud to float above the stage and go in a keyhole. The, like, the stage is two screens long, but you need to know to kill that Lakitu. And then jump in his cloud. And there are a few others like that where the solutions, I mean, they're not impossible to find. They just take a lot of experimentation in order to figure out how to find those keys and those keyholes. And that's why I like, I like that idea. Not every stage was like that, but they, they they really focused on these stages to be like that.
1: One of the things we, we haven't really talked about is how much you have to opt into that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like there is probably a user out there, somebody who's playing this game and is just going from the first level... To, the, to Bowser's castle without doing this stuff because that's all they're interested in, right? And you can and that's do that, fine. yeah. Like the 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 levels for which you have to opt into this are really, you know, modular in a way that is really cool. So like not only you know star stages, and then those lead to the special stages, which are then the like the ultimate. Uh, challenge stages, not to to move us
0: ahead. No, let's talk about that. I mean, like, okay, this is my comparison, where, you know, like, Mario 2 in Japan was Mario for Super Players, and that was a whole sequel that they sold independently. This was kind of like a sequel to Mario World they snuck into the game itself, where, like, it is, like, ultra-challenging Mario, where you do not have to play these levels if you don't want to. They are really hidden behind a wall. But if you do, and you beat them, you are awesome at Mario World. In fact, like, In the American version, um, all of the names are, like, Groovy, Tubular, Radical, or whatever. But in the Japanese uh, version, it's, like, even Mario staff is surprised by this level. Like, expressions (laughs) like that, like, oh, my God, this one's hard. Like, they're not, like, these weird slang words. For some reason, they they decided to localize them like that, but... I just like how they emphasize that, and they and they kind of snuck in like a secret ultra hard like sequel into this game. That's how I'm going to refer to it, anyways. Please please argue against me on the online. I love it. <laughs> Another thing I like about this game is the ghost houses. Now these 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 again like the Star Road levels are focusing on secrets where it's like there are multiple exits, and some of them you have to do some pretty weird stuff to get to them. Like you have to build stairways out of these like. These coin blocks that shoot out coins in a a certain direction, and then you hit a P-switch and turn into a stairway, and then you go above all the levels, and blah, blah, blah. But, like, these ghost houses were super fun. They were all about tricking the player, trying to play against what you knew uh, from platforming. Like, okay, now the gap in the floor is going to move back and forth. Or, like, now suddenly you're surrounded by all these ghosts, and you have to find your way through them. So the ghost houses were so cool, and to be honest, I was a little spooked out by them as a kid, Uh, even though they were silly ghosts. They have a different aesthetic to them. The, the music isn't, like,
2: upbeat or even menacing. It's more, like, atmospheric. It's this kind of swirling, like, do 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 do, do. And it, Yeah. It, it peaks and it drops and it kind of fades in and fades out. It's just like the booze themselves, you know. They really made uh, use of the transparency effects of uh, the, the Super NES to make booze do kind of ghostly things. And there's all these layers to them. Uh, very atmospheric and foggy, and it, it just feels like you've kind of entered this other realm. Um, you know, in, in other Mario stages, it feels like you're kind of traversing the world, but in the Ghost House stages, uh, even more so than the Fortress stages, it feels like you're trapped somewhere.
0: Yeah, it feels like they are playing with you, like the enemies in there. You're not just like, they're on your own terms. It's like, I need to get out of this place because everything is laughing at me, right. and like little, doors yeah, are little, disappearing.
2: laughing samples. Yeah,
0: yeah, those are great. Uh, so you mentioned music. I do want to bring this up. I mean, obviously, Koji Kondo did the um, did the soundtrack for this, as he did for most of Nintendo's games at this point. And uh, the the stage music is essentially the same melody, but rearranged in different ways. And I don't, I don't think he would do that again. But it's a very like I didn't notice it at first, but once you do, you can hear that same melody in every 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 single song. And it's very Final Fantasy V-ish. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh,
1: every stage and the fishing sequences and deadly Premonition which just take the water music from Mario World. Oh,
0: you're right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's too. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, man. For some reason. Oh, uh, God, that, that game. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, and I do recommend, uh, there was a really great remix album. I got for free, and I'm pretty sure the artist was giving it away for free, but then he charged for his Mario 3 album, and I gladly paid him for this. His name's XOC or X0C. And uh, his remixes of these are just amazing. They use very eclectic instruments. Um, I, I would I would put them in this episode, but that's not my music. I'd, I would just put the Nintendo music in. But um, I really recommend you look that up and uh, give that guy money because he does great stuff with Nintendo soundtracks. And uh, his Mario World uh, remixes are fantastic. Um, yeah. So I do want to talk about bosses, too. And, and we're getting to the end of my, like, why Mario World is so great. I can't believe we got this much time out of it. but uh, So this was a huge expansion over Mario 3. Um, instead of these airship arenas, which were essentially the same fight but with different obstacles and maybe some of the, you know, Koopa Kids shot fireballs at you or something in different ways... Uh, now there are, like, one of three total boss fights where you're either fighting on a Koopa Kid on a teetering island, and instead of hitting him three times, you have to knock him off. So you could hit him once and knock him off if you hit him in the right spot. And that's actually one of the first boss fights. Another one is, um, not very interesting. It's, like, the Koopa Kid will just run up the walls and, like, fall down on you and maybe shoot a fireball or two. I I don't really remember, but that one's not so great. Another one is, um... It's like, sort of like Whack-A-Mole, where a Koopa Kid will pop out of these pipes, and there will be two imposters. you got to stomp the right one, and there's fireballs going around the room. Nothing super exciting, but way more interesting than just the same airship battle over and over and over again. And there are no airships in this game. In fact, there is a sunken ship, which kind of plays like an airship, but underwater, which I thought was a cool... A cool maneuver. It's like, we've done too many airship levels, let's just do one, but put it underwater. So now you're, you're doing all the, like, cannon, uh, like, dodging and bullet bill dodging, but you're swimming instead of, you're, you know, jumping around. Which what's it, what's interesting
1: cool. about that stage is it, it is supposed to be one of the, the airships from, from Mario 3. Like, it's the only stage in Super Mario World that has one of those little question mark. Circles at oh, the end. Oh, yeah, which yeah, that's how you right. ended stages in Mario 3. That's not a, I, Chris Kohler pointed that out to me when we did, I ran into him when we were doing that live episode. Hmm. And that's not a, something I observed as a little kid, but he pointed that out. I to never
0: me. thought of that. That's great. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Uh, it, it's a canon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a few more things to go over. Um, I talked about the bosses, and I, and I do want to bring up uh, the Bowser fight, which I just encountered. It's it's a really epic boss fight, and it's pretty easy, but it is kind of like uh, keeps you on your toes because the point of the boss fight is to throw these Mecha Koopas at um, Bowser... He he will throw Mecha Koopas out of his out of his clown copter, which I thought was a really weird choice, but somehow it, it fits, it works. And later, Sonic would just be like, "That's a good idea for a boss. Let's, Let's do, do every boss like that." Yeah,
1: <laughs> in every Sonic boss.
0: But uh, it's a really great fight, and uh, I mean, like halfway halfway through, the princess throws a mushroom at you in case you need it. But it's just like it really tests your your uh, ability to, to throw things in the air and to hit a moving target, and I really love it. And. Um, it 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 was the first Bowser fight that felt like authentic and epic. Like Mar- Mario 3's Bowser, he kills himself by being stupid, you know, by just pounding through the floor. Um, Mario One, you just drop the bridge out from under him, no big deal. But this this felt like a real b- battle against Bowser that Mario needed to have at this point, where it was really just like a long battle with multiple stages and um, this weird clown copter, as I mentioned before. Yes. And
1: it tests the mechanics that you've been using. Like, as you mentioned right. before, it's like, about throwing things as opposed to just moving, which you, the other two...
0: Yeah, and spin jumping, like, occasionally he will throw these, these giant, like, bowling balls out yeah. of you and you have to spin jump to not bounce off of them and you also have to avoid him when he starts, like, like be, like getting real and just trying to crush you with yeah. the with the copter. That one one thing I noticed about that fight, which I thought was very interesting and very like very thoughtful, was you don't get hurt if you collide with the with the cop, the copter itself, only the blade. So you can bounce <laughs> off of the co- the copter. I think like any other developer would be like, no, that entire thing will hurt you. But Nintendo was like, no, no, why would it hurt you? It's just like it's a surface. You know, it's not going that fast. So man, I I am just gushing about this <laughs> game. <laughs> I just played it people again for the millionth time. Um and a few other things like Sonic the Hedgehog was released prior to Mario World in the States by like a few months. Um, the marketing tried to paint Mario World as this like slow and pokey and dorky platformer but that's really... I bought it. You bought it? <laughs> I bought it. <laughs> I, I'm sure I did too. I probably had second thoughts about Mario but I, I mean superficially that is the case. I mean Mario's a fat dork uh, with a weird mustache and a big nose and he doesn't move very fast and the animation is not nearly as smooth and the characters are all cute and and, and lumpy and, and adorable or whatever, and Sonic, everything's fast and cool and red or whatever. And spiky. And spiky, but uh, Sonic can't do a lot in his game. Sonic basically stops when there's like a slight incline. Mario is like a thousand times better a platforming character in terms of what he can do in the game. And if you look at, at that from that angle, Sonic like doesn't really stand a chance. I mean, superficially it looks like a way radder game, but like at, at the heart of Mario World, there is so much more you can do with that character.
3: I
2: think, um... I, think, I don't think it's necessarily fair to compare the two directly. I realize
0: Sega marketing... Right, that, that's the only reason um, I'm bringing it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But, you know, I, I think the, the, the functions of these games are different. Um, Mario World, like I said before, is really about exploration and, and poking around in every corner. Sonic, you can't really do that. and The games aren't designed for it. There aren't a lot of hidden corners for you to poke around in. Instead, it, it's really about momentum. It's not about speed, but it's about maintaining the sense of motion and you know, kind of committing to your actions. And instead of giving you lots of little corners with hidden secrets in them and alternate exits and so forth, what they, they, the games really do a lot of is give you alternate routes through the stage. So depending on how you react, you get a different experience every time and have different obstacles to play. So you know, it's really much more of that—that sort of Sega arcade tradition at work. Yeah. Um, Whereas Mario, you know, Mario is much more of the Nintendo committing to the console game design philosophy. So you know, it's arcade versus consoles, I would say, and um, they both have to be viewed in that perspective. Personally, I prefer the console style, but I don't think that diminishes what Sonic was, at least in the beginning.
0: Yeah, I think later Sonic games would. Put that emphasis on secrets and exploring, and that really ruined it because you had to slow down, and nothing is worse than slow Sonic because he can barely—he it takes him a long time to to build up like a like an okay speed or a speed that's fun to explore at. So that's what I think that series went downhill after like maybe three. Like Sonic and Knuckles is probably one of the first. Maybe even three had a little too much exploring for me.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's embarrassing to admit it, but in relation to that uh, Sega like ad campaign comparing Mario and Sonic. I wrote, I drew a comic and sent it into Nintendo Power <laughs> that was about that, where it was all of Mario's different suits for Mario 3 like doing their cool thing around Sonic. And he was saying something like, duh, I run into <laughs> rings because I was super young and stupid.
0: That was like better than most political cartoons, it's Gary. This is my
1: cutting satire.
0: So you're, you're on the right track. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we all kind of gushed about Mario World. I think we're out of things to say. I do want to talk about a few of the glitches and hacks and there's lots of them. I'm not going to go over all of them. Just like even today they're discovering um new things to do with this game and and I'll I'll put links to all this stuff on the US Gamer uh page for this for this podcast. But one of them is called the credits warp which was just just discovered mm-hmm. and it was done for the first time by hand. I can't explain how this is done? Because if I did, you would be bored to tears. Because it's like first pick up a shell, now do this, now throw the shell here, now put this shell there, now go back to this this screen. It's just like this this entirely insane set of instructions where we're really just trying to program the game to do something where you're just playing with the RAM and like putting things into the RAM that don't belong.
2: Right. I mean, it's it's basically the next evolution of the the very simple tricks where you would have a buffer overflow. So like you would um, you know get something to the maximum 256 count, and you'd get one more thing, and it wasn't designed to handle that, so all of a sudden it would flow over to zero.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's it's kind of doing that, except you have a lot more variables, and the results don't just, you know, reset one number or something, but they actually send you to a different part of the game altogether.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen Ocarina of, Te- Ocarina of Time speedruns where it's like, I'm going to give myself the slingshot now, so I'm going to program in these variables by doing these moves. It's really great to watch, it's in like nine minute video, so I'll put it on the US Gamer page for this. Check it out. Um, the, uh, don't try it at home. You'll probably hurt yourself.
1: <laughs> or to, to your point, like, and, and it wasn't in your notes, but something you should also include in there, um, everybody do themselves a favor and search YouTube for uh, Super Mario World Total Control. Um, I
0: don't know about this.
1: This is So they, they show them off at the last two uh, Summer Games, Games Done Quick and uh, Awesome Games Done Quick, where they're using this principle of reprogramming the game but essentially to do stunts. And I will ruin the less impressive one just so you know to watch them. Um, they reprogram Super Mario World to play Pong, like a fully. I like have durable... seen that. I've seen it.
0: I've seen it. That's, have you that's seen great. the one for this year? I haven't. It's better. Okay. Whoa. So imagine,
1: imagine how cool that is. This is an order of magnitude cooler.
0: I did see the one. This is not Mario related, but I did see how they 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 hacked the Pokemon cart to display Twitch chat yeah. via the cart. So the cart was playing, the, the, being fed the chat and displaying it through just Pokemon. Mm-hmm. The instructions yeah, or the, the whatever.
1: Pokemon plays Twitch. God, so
0: crazy. I love
1: Pokemon. it. Yeah, t- task people who do tool assisted speedruns are a real special breed. That requires a Herculean level of patience that I can't conceive of. I feel
0: like they're going to be recruited by our government soon.
1: <laughs> <something>. <laughs> like if not already, like they, they you work the Enigma machine. For <laughs> World War
0: what happened to uh, the speedrunner? He was he was black bagged.
1: Yeah. yeah. But it is so impressive to me and just crazy and hard to explain unless you've seen it.
0: Yeah, like, I watch uh, this called Son of a Glitch or whatever, Mm -hmm. these videos with this British guy, and, like, it feels like that one joke from The Simpsons where Homer buys, like, the the drywall patching tape and Troy McClure (laughs) is, like, giving all these really specific instructions. He's like, no, wait, wait, what? Huh? What's this? It's like... a
1: three-quarter inch patching tape. Yeah.
0: So I didn't do the justice at all, but still, I will continue referencing the Simpsons. Um, some other stuff that happened is uh, something. Okay, uh, the credits glitch like essentially it just it just warps you to the second half of the credits, so you essentially you beat the game. Uh, there's a new glitch discovered recently where uh, again, really complicated instructions. But if you collect the coin at the same time Yoshi is trying to eat it after doing all this stuff, it will put a cloud in your inventory box, which you can then summon down and use like you would any lackey Two cloud. So that's another glitch you can do. Um, A few other things I wanted to mention, and there are tons of glitches online, I encourage you to look them up, but these these are not glitches. One is called Kaizo Mario World. Mm -hmm. It's roughly like, I think, a 10-stage ROM hack, where it's basically like, I want to be the guy meets Mario World. It's absolutely evil. And uh, I encourage you all to watch the Awesome Games Done Quick, or perhaps Summer Games Done Quick run-through of this game, because it can be done without save states. I tried doing it with save states, and I just gave up, because it's like, this is really mean. This game is cruel. But it's it's worth watching just as a sheer display of someone's uh talent and ability at this game. Uh, some other stuff, uh, Lunar Magic, or Lunar Magic, if you like RPGs. It is a really extensive uh, Super Mario World hacking tool, ex- extremely user-friendly. Maybe just shows how well this game was programmed that it's so easy to rearrange elements and just like build from them, but I'm not so sure about that entirely. But this is what these things are made with. There, there are so many ROM hacks for Mario World. Uh, I'm sure a lot of them are just built on being just mean and ruthless, but there probably are some cool ones out there, too. And one more thing I wanted to mention was this thing from maybe eight years ago, um, called Automatic Super Mario World. And I think these levels really show off just how consistent. And that was eight years ago. Uh, the, the link is from <laughs> 2007, Jeremy. I'm sorry. Uh, and it was also from Joystick, R.I.P. Joystick. I miss you guys already. Um, and basically, these just show off how consistent and well-realized Mario's physics are. I'm putting physics in quotes because, I mean, I guess they are physics. But physics. Yeah. But what they do is, like, they, they drop Mario into the world, and based on the, the enemies and the things around him, without touching the controls, he will go through the stage without you touching anything. And he will come, like, a pixel's breadth close to an enemy before, like, the the platform he's on, like, pushes him away or something. They're, they're just, like, these weird... um. God, I'm trying to think of an analogy, but I really can't. Um, it's kind of like a Rube Goldberg device. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's actually the perfect analogy. That, it's just like Mario
2: navigates on his own.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'll put a link to these. A lot of these have been taken down because the YouTube accounts are eight years old. But I'm sure people are still making these. They're really great. It's called Automatic Super Mario World. And, and I think, like I said these do a really good job of showing off just how consistent and well-realized the controls are because people can make these levels autoplay just with the basic components of the game. So, I yeah. am I'm impressed.
1: The one that, um, the famous one that I saw was the one that syncs to the music. and has that song playing. Oh. I think it was the first one that the joystick article in, in the notes references.
0: I probably seen have that. seen it at some point, but it's uh, That's really like.
1: impressive just because it is it's taking all of this sound, it essentially takes the sound effects from Super Mario World and use them as a percussion track. Ooh. For this kind of uh, anime. I
0: have seen this. I have this it's like yeah. J-pop song and
1: it's really impressive.
0: Okay, I will I will try to link to that on the uh, US Camera page for this. Um so let's get into some Facebook comments from our listeners. <laughs> so a few uh, days before recording this video, I sent out a request for you guys to write in because I was afraid this episode... Uh, wait, what did I say? You said recording this video. Oh, I mean podcast. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm recording I didn't, myself. I didn't wear my
2: TV face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so like I said a few days ago before recording, I was like, give me your comments about this game because I was afraid this podcast would not last long. I was wrong, but I'm still going to read some of them because you guys wrote in some very thoughtful comments. And I will start with, uh, I'm only going to read first names. I didn't say I was going to read both, but just be kind to you in case your boss will fire you for your thoughts on <laughs> Mario World. Uh, in that case, I would seek like um, legal assistance, but still, I will protect your identity. So we have Preston here, and he says, In my 18 years of gaming, I have played and beaten this game, Super Mario World, more than any other, and it only seems to get better with time. It was the first video game I ever played at seven years old, and I've been a dedicated gamer ever since. This game perfected Mario 3's platforming controls and, in my opinion, has yet to be improved upon. I have tons of memories playing with family members, and I was thrilled every time I discovered a new secret to the point that I would dream of finding secret worlds. When I finally beat the game after a year of dedication, I was literally, not really, walking on the moon. It's a masterpiece in my eyes, and that's from Preston. And uh, I have to agree, Preston, uh, I'm I'm a little bit older than you, but um, this this game really meant a lot to me when I was like 10, so I, I can see how uh, that... that it made your childhood special.
2: You know, one of the the downsides to Nintendo's determination to create original
0: content and never to repeat themselves too
2: much, although they do that sometimes, um, is the fact that they didn't follow up this game with just a pure sequel, like any other developer would have said. Man, we made a badass game. Let's make another one just like it. We waited five years for Yoshi's Island, which was a masterpiece, but totally a different game. It would have been so great if in that middle. That interim there between the two games, like nineteen ninety three, we three. We'd gotten you know yeah. Super Mario World two. I would not I would have taken Islands it, Mario two, but but a pure faithful follow up to this game that just expanded on the great ideas, made better use of advanced Super NES tech, maybe a DSP chip or something, some added fanciness, um, polygonal just, Yoshi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like that would have been great. I, I respect Nintendo for not uh, belaboring the point. I kind of wish they had belabored the point back when it was this game and not the new Super Mario Brothers.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Man, that makes me a little sad now. (laughs) So Craig says, as a kid, I always thought at the end of Mario 3, Bowser fell into a bottomless pit and then in Mario World created the flying car to get out of that pit, which I think is great. This is Bob speaking, by the way. Back to Craig. Up until recently, I've just kind of taken it for granted that this was story canon, but after looking online, I think it's one of those childhood rationalizations of a sparse story that stuck. I also like that, in retrospect, uh, this was Mario's caveman game of the 90s. In the early 90s, you couldn't move for caveman games or levels, and now they seem to have completely dropped off of the radar. Was that Flintstones movie really that bad? And that's from Craig. And yes, the Flintstones movie was bad. So bad that it ended the, the wave of cavemania, as we but, called it.
2: But it wasn't the first one. It was the second one, the yeah. of Rock Vegas.
0: They couldn't even get anyone back for that sequel. <laughs> even John Goodman was too busy. But uh, he, he's way better than that, so what am I saying? Um, This is from Jonathan. Uh, Joyous, beautiful, challenging, charming, and just bloody perfect. I take it Jonathan's from the UK. Maybe not. Maybe he's like a -a Britaboo. I'm not seeing any OUs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not seeing any OUs, but he hasn't used any words with that. Um, He says, if you don't rate this game, then you just aren't human and you have no soul. Wow. Harsh words. words. My four-year-old daughter is just starting to get into gaming, and once she gets into more complex stuff, this will be the first game we'll complete together. Like a soul
1: test. <laughs> 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 yeah, so what if
0: your daughter is like the game? Are you going to be like, well, <laughs> yeah, well, you're getting adopted. yeah, <laughs> Adopted out. Um, sorry. Uh, I want it to be her first big gaming memory, and that's about the highest honor. Oh, H-O-N-O-U-R, we got a Brit. Thank I can bestow you. on it. I doubt it very much, but if anyone out there hasn't played this, I've been gaming for almost 40 years, and trust me, it doesn't get much better than this game. And that is from Jonathan. Uh, not much to add, Jonathan. That's uh, really touching. I hope your daughter has a soul. We'll find out later. <laughs> right, it right, right into us. It's like she keeps going towards not, Sonic.
2: I, I hope she doesn't destroy us all. Yeah. Carol, soul hunt.
0: So, so Doug writes in to say, uh, Super Mario World ushered in a new era of both scope and freedom in level-based platforming when it was released. Proper use of the cape let you fly seemingly anywhere until you went off-screen, and when you combine that with hidden exits and world map shortcuts, Super Mario World felt wide open in a way no other level place, no level-based platformer was until then. Ghost houses brought the puzzle side of Mario to the forefront, the Star Road blew my mind, and the Secret World might have been the biggest hidden area of game any game up until that point. The game's depth is perhaps best defined by the hidden exit in the Cheese Bridge, a hidden exit Sorry, a hidden exit, hidden behind the standard exit, and one that is only accessible through mastery of the game's flight mechanics. And that's from Doug. You can also kill Yoshi to get there, but that's just cruel, right?
1: Yoshi kind of deserves it. that's where <laughs> he ended up.
0: That's true. There
1: are a lot of Yoshis. If, if we were in the fiction of the game Mario would eat Yoshis. There's yeah, no way that there uh, wouldn't be omelets and like Dino Sticks.
0: They're stuff. never clear with the Yoshi mythology. Like, there is a guy named Yoshi, but then there are Yoshis, kind of yeah. like Toad. Yeah, but I, I guess like Toads, they're all like they choose their gender, like how they're expressing their gender. Are there girly Yoshis or there masculine Yoshis? I mean, there's Boshi, but that's not canon. <laughs> 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 Come on, people. We have we have no we have no Yoshi thoughts. I'll let you guys sit on that for a minute. Uh, so, this one is from Jeremy, not the Jeremy that's here, but another Jeremy. Um, he says, What Mario World lacks in the number of direct power-up items, it makes up for in the variety, speed, and fluidity of Mario's movements. The feather-slash-cape power-up alone provided a lot of entertainment, given the number of things that you could do with it. Limited flight, parasailing, dive-bombing, whipping enemies on the ground, or descending with a spin jump to create a Mario whirlwind of destruction on the way down. In comparison to Mario 3, Mario accelerated much more quickly and seemed to have much more control during jumps. I think that more so than any other 2D Mario game, this one encouraged the player to experiment with the character's moves and the surrounding environment, and that is from Jeremy. Any thoughts on this guy's comments? I totally agree, and I like how you brought up all of the things you can do with the cape. I think I missed a few of those, actually. Yep, agreed. Let's move on to Trey's comments. He said, "Witnessing Super Mario World on a giant CRT at Sears... As a child, was a memorable experience. So we both have a common Sears connection, me and Trey. That's where you go (laughs) for your video games.
1: You know a guy who gets speakers. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) I believe it was their their their. It was called like Funtronics. Their video game. They had they had like a world of Nintendo display in every Sears. Is that the Toys R Us thing? Yeah, yeah. I I know. I like uh, Sears was getting rid of video games in like '99. I got Super Metroid for ten bucks new, which was great. So. Thank you, Sears. Okay, back to Trey. He said, I'd been ensnared by the Sega Genesis during uh, utilizing a similar tactic with its bright blue mascot in a local Sam's Club not long beforehand, but even as a child, I could see the wealth of content that laid before me. I think what drew me to the Super Mario World experience was that unlike their contemporaries, harnessing arcade-like bite-sized experiences, as Jeremy said, was not the hedgehog. That's me. With one introductory look at the world map and subsequent "oo" and ah pauses, you could see that this was much more than a time trial or spectacle. This is a grand world to be methodically explored. And that is from Trey, Sears fan005 on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody named Cat wrote in, who the heck is that? Is it my uh, wife? Uh, no, that's uh, that's Cat? that's our friend, Cat. Oh, okay. Uh, Cat says it was unjustly criticized in its day for being derivative. Um, it felt much bigger than Super Mario Brothers three, and the secrets really made it come alive. Second best Mario behind Mario Brothers three, says Cat. Was it criticized for being? Uh, Derivative? I don't recall there
2: being I naysayers. I don't remember any negative words about Super Mario World in the press. Maybe she's talking about her own personal experience.
0: I think so. Maybe... Uh, le- they, the game
2: received nothing but universal praise in, in reviews. Hmm. Maybe in the UK press, they were like,
1: oh, Nintendo. <laughs> this isn't from an isometric angle, and you can control it. I don't <laughs> like
0: this. This isn't a racing game? <laughs> Get this out of rumors. here. Yeah. Sorry, Jazz, I know you like racing games. Uh, this one's from Ren, and Ren, I will I I I'm just I really want to make a Ren and Stimpy joke, but I know that would be insulting to you, so I won't. And Ren says, I remember Nintendo's North American commercials about the SNES being a little bit faster, a little bit more colorful, a bit more powerful, but nothing could have prepared me for when I first saw the game in action in the toy department at Sears. Again. <laughs> Sears didn't know Wealthy what they had. Yeah, okay. really. Sears had, had no idea. They had just had Nintendo power in their... Poursing through their veins. Take that, JCPenney. You're nothing. Uh, I'm sorry. Back to Ren. Slackjawed would have been the best word to describe my state. The game had so many little intricacies that would change my perception of gaming forever. Games no longer had to be linear. There was no longer any single good solution to completing stages, and it pushed me as a player to try techniques that would have driven me mad like ditching my mount in order to get the one extra jump I needed to clear the stage. A move that would have been insane in Adventure Island. Even the smallest bits of music were fascinating, how the track would get extra percussion with Yoshi. This was also the first Mario game to give me mild chills with the ghost houses. I completed all 93 stages in complete ecstasy. And that's from Ren. Thanks, Ren. Ren. Ren should have just done our podcast for us. That was our episode reduced <laughs> into thirty seconds.
1: Well, except he said there's ninety three stages, aren't there? Ninety six. I think there are ninety six. Are we gonna blow Ren's mind? Ninety six exits. Oh, okay,
0: uh, it's true. Yeah, We're fewer stages
1: than that. Yeah,
0: some exits would like, especially in the Forest of Illusion and Chocolate Island. I was gonna
1: say, like, you you got some more game left, Ren. <laughs> get
0: back there. That'd be amazing. And like, what if you found out there was one like Mario three stage you never played, or one Mario World stage you never played? Yeah. I, I would die, and then I'd be resurrected by Mario World's magic. Do you know about the e cards? Oh, yeah, I guess we should talk about Mario well, Advance. Mario World didn't have that. Oh, it didn't? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, we can talk about Mario Advance if you really must. Well, what Was there anything new in
2: that game? Uh, I think there was Luigi mode. I think Luigi controlled differently.
0: Luigi's in it. He has a Mario All-Star sprite they gave him for that version of the game. I can't remember if they changed his physics. I didn't really play Mario Advance 2 that much. The girl I was dating at the time was, like, obsessed with <laughs> it. She would just, like, play it all the time. I think they gave you a reward, uh, sorry, a special ending for getting all the dragon coins. There's five in every level in Mario World vanilla. You get a life, but in Mario World GBA, you get a special ending or something like that. But Mm -hmm. is there anything more to it than that?
3: I cannot say.
0: Well, Nintendo has that, and Mario World SNES on Virtual Console. Don't buy the Game Boy Advance version. Just buy the Mario World SNES version. You're not missing anything. You're missing horribly scratchy sound. Clips that you don't want to hear a thousand times in a row. Just what I needed, et cetera. I forget what they say in Mario World, but it's awful. Okay, we are at the end of our show. So final thoughts, um, and I think we discussed a little bit of this. uh, Could and should Nintendo make a a new Super Mario World? And no, Super Mario 3D World doesn't count because it's not really Super Mario World. Um, Is it time for them to return to the type of 2D platformer that dabbled in so much variety and complexity? And I haven't played Yoshi's New Island. I don't know if that is any good. No, that is, I mean no. It's it's is that okay. Tezuka? It's fine. Um,
2: yeah, it was basically just like Yoshi's Island Redux. It I was see. like a new
0: set of levels for Yoshi's Island. Okay, so that's kind of inoffensive, but whatever. Yeah. isn't it like it's a bit uglier too? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I mean, this is my question. I have an answer for it. I, I would love. I mean, like we, they made four new Mario Brothers games, right? Not counting Luigi, yes. you. I won't count that. That's correct. I'll be fair. Uh, I really, yeah. I mean, like they do more than Mario One did, but I, I mean, their focus on multiplayer means that these levels cannot be levels you explore. They have to be levels that you go in one direction through. There are there are side routes, there are a little hidden pipes and whatnot. But I really would like to see a single player focused Mario game with the secrets, the exploration, um, things like that. I don't think we're going to get it because I think Mario games are going to be multiplayer from here on out forever. Just because like, they're trying to draw on a huge user base and they really can't afford to make Mario Galaxy games anymore, unfortunately, it seems like. But um, how do you guys feel about that? I mean, would you? I mean, obviously we want it, but how do you think this could happen or could it happen?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I think one of the reasons why I would love to see it is just because I, I think that the the kind of short-stage arcade um, set-challenge version of Mario games um, was is fully explored in the Mario Galaxy games. Like, the kind of, here's a set Five minute game segment. Yeah, here's yeah. what you do. I think that's. The, I think that idea has been explored enough uh, for my taste, um, but I have no idea how they would do it or if it is likely. Obviously, mm-hmm. I would like it because I, l- I love this game so much, and the. Uh, and I've actually gone through and done some of those kind of like ROM hacks and, and things like that, looking for for a fix, you know, <laughs> and trying to find a, a way to to capture it. And obviously, you know, BananaFan79. On the Yahoo forums is not quite as good a designer <laughs> <laughs> as the uh, the good people at Nintendo. Um, so the uh, I would love it, but I have no idea if it's likely or how they'd do it.
0: I think it's time. I mean, um, I, I mean, I think we're due because not that we are going to get this, but uh, Mar- new Mario Brothers launched 21 years after Mario Brothers launched in the states. Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario Brothers, that is, and now we're 25 years from Mario World people have that same nostalgia, I think. Uh, maybe it's not as intense, because Mario Brothers 1 was a, a much bigger game, I think, and much more mon- monumental, but I, I think Nintendo needs to hit on this nostalgia before we're all too old to remember Mario World.
2: <laughs> I, I kind of think that the, um, the the blowback from Super Mario Sunshine has pushed Nintendo away from the sort of open, exploratory figure stuff out, here's kind of like the virtual playground style of Mario games, because if you look... Super Mario World, Yoshi's Island, Super Mario 64, and then Mario Sunshine all have that kind of, like, big, roaming, like, go find stuff, go see what's out there style. And then that went away. Mario Galaxy brought things into a much smaller capacity. The new Super Mario Brothers games are much more linear. Mario 3D World, Mario 3D Land, much more about this kind of compact, finite experience. So I... I don't know that Nintendo ever is going to go back there because I think they've found greater success with the more limited style that appeals to a broader audience as opposed to the, like, let's see what's out there approach.
0: I agree. I think it could have been done better in Mario Sunshine. I think I mean, it's my favorite yeah, game. Yeah, I but think that game had
2: specific issues yeah. that needed to be addressed as opposed to, like, the entire bath and baby being tossed out. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, like spraying random areas for blue coins was not my good my idea of a good time. But uh, that's that's uh, just I think and uh, like a symptom of the era was developed in. I think. Um, so let's move away from that. I have one more question, and like this is something we talked about before. I think, but is it fair to compare Mario three and Mario World? It feels like it's like what's a better movie, Citizen Kane or Back to the Future? It's like well, they're both doing different things. I, I, I am I allowed to enjoy both the same amount? I think so. I, I prefer Mario World just because I think like the technology was there for them to make everything feel as good as it feels when you play Mario World. Like, I love just getting my hands on that cape and just seeing what I can do with it, even if I'm just playing around. Uh, how do you guys how do you guys feel about Mario 3 and Mario World? I think it's
2: more like comparing Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay, one I was hoping them, you wouldn't say Temple one of Doom. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's Super Mario Brothers 2 Japan. Oh, I yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think, you know, in the case of the first game, the first movie, you know, this comparison... Like, it was sort of the introduction to how things work. Like, here, let's bring you into this world. Let's show you what everything's about. And then, you know, the the third game, the third movie, um, they were both about uh, kind of building on that, on, uh, you know, sort of taking all these familiar elements and doing new things with them. And maybe it wasn't as raw and cutting-edge creative, like, oh, I've never seen anything like this. But it was much more um, rich... More, more thoroughly realized, um, and much less of like a pure action sort of set piece. Uh, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. But I, I'm following. Uh, anyway. I'm following. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like they're, I don't know. They're they're
1: two different experiences. Um, I don't know. Well, there's kind of like a, it's a little bit of uh, appreciating something historically or with context and without. You know, like um. You know, as people who think about games, especially you guys as kind of uh, gaming historians, um, when you look at, you know, this was, this did this first, or this is a more arcadey thing, and the genre just kind of hasn't evolved to that yet. Um, You can look at it that way, and then in that sense, it's not fair to compare them. There's also the entirely subjective, just which one do you like more, um, which is totally fair and valid, and I think is fine. You know, like, I can't discount the fact that I just have, more fun playing one of them, even though I understand why they're trying to different, do different things mm-hmm. and like them both. Like, there's room for everything. It doesn't have to be binary. Um, one can be 100% and one can be 95%, and that works just fine for me.
0: It's still My like two of the greatest games ever made, yeah. Without, without a question, objectively speaking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> without a question. Yeah. We'll, we'll work no questions.
0: Yes. So, there you have it, folks. We managed to talk about Mario World for 90 minutes. Can go, yay, us. I see that that's how good this game is. So, Happy 25th birthday, Mario Ma- uh, Mario World. You can now rent a car. In a decade, you can run for president. I will vote for you because... Oh, car, uh, <laughs> I'm with the cartridge party, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm a single-issue voter, and that issue is Yoshi having a voice.
1: Uh, that issue is this Mario mania.
0: Yeah. Guys. Oh, I love it. Please, please uh, buy it from your local Barnes & Noble. Or Borders. <laughs> if those exist anymore Uh, they do not I don't think so Uh, so let's wrap up you can find us on Twitter Facebook SoundCloud Twitch.tv YouTube and um, Tumblr as Retronauts and go to our blog Retronauts.com please go to US Gamer for all of your Retronauts needs if you must and I encourage it we post the episodes there that's where you can comment that's where all the information goes now. Uh, we still have our blog, but it's really more of a, a functional thing than it's something that we put, put a lot of time into. So please with us, Gamer. We all work there. We'd like to keep our jobs because it makes us happy, makes us make it keeps it keeps us making podcasts, people. And uh, please keep reviews coming. Um, they help the show. They give it visibility. Go to the iTunes Store if you've got a minute. Just rate us whatever you want. Leave a few words. Just even give us a few stars. That's all we need. And. We really will appreciate it. I love reading reviews. We haven't gotten one in a while, I don't think. Or maybe we've only gotten a few. I need to check in. So, yes, please write more iTunes reviews. And in case you didn't realize it, we are fully funded by all you guys, or most of you guys, uh, through Patreon. So go to retronauts.com, sorry, patreon.com slash retronauts to check out our Retronauts uh, Patreon account. Uh, if Even as little as a dollar a month, that's like 25 cents per episode, will help us do more things, um, help replace equipment we need, help fly Jeremy here. Um, So every little bit counts. If you can give, please do. If you can't, tell people about the show. We really want this to catch on a little more. And uh, as for contact info, I am Bob Servo on Twitter. I'm also senior editor at US Gamer, so check us out there. I write for somethingawful.com every couple weeks, and I'm also on a few Laser Times, which have probably went up by now, but I'm always on Laser Time every now and then, so check out lasertimepodcast.com, I think, for that stuff. Uh, it's not my podcast, but I enjoy all the folks there. Uh, Gary?
1: Uh, yeah, um, you can find my pod work at duckfeed.tv. We do shows about a lot of different things, but probably of most interest to listeners of this show is Watch Out for Fireballs, which is kind of a... A retro game show that takes a book club format. Um, we've been doing it for a couple of years. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gary Buh G A R Y B U um, H, pronounced Gary Buh. And uh, I also have done some kind of like guest stuff on on podcasts. I have some writing up, but you can find me via Google or via links at uh, DuckFeed.tv. TV. Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. Um,
2: you can find me on EOSGamer.net or on Twitter as GamesBite. And I'm also elsewhere on the internet, but that's fine. Whatever. You
0: can find me. Yay. Well, thanks so much for joining us, people. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode and hopefully a cure for Mario Mania. We will see you then.